So Psalm 139, I'm going to read, oh man, I'm going to read the first six verses and then we'll work our way through this psalm. And so we'll come, we'll, we'll get through all of it at least um, as best we can. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And uh, let's pray one more time together. Lord, we're thankful for your word, for this particular passage. I pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds uh, to your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would change where we need to. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd apply this passage to all of our hearts and all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of tonight's message is A Proper Perspective, and it is important for us to have the right perspective. Um, it is really how you look at things that is important. A man was driving in the country one day. He saw an old man sitting on a fence uh, watching the cars go by. Well, stopping to pass the time of day, the traveler said, you know, I, I could never stand living out here. You don't see anything, and I'm sure you don't travel like I do. I'm on the go I'm on the go all the time. Well, the old man on the fence looked down at the stranger and drawled. I don't know that I'm going to have a great drawl. I am a California boy after all. I can't see much difference in what I'm doing and what you're doing. I sit on the fence and watch the autos go by. And you sit in your auto and watch the fences go by. It's just the way you look at things. And tonight, as we uh, go through this particular psalm, uh, David had the right perspective about certain things. And, and I want to encourage us to have the same perspective because it is important for us to have the right perspective regarding some things. This is a, this is a very familiar psalm. A lot of people love this psalm. In fact, this particular psalm was my mom's favorite psalm. I remember when my mom uh, shared with my brother and I uh, with my dad in the room, that, uh, that she had uh, about six months left to live. Uh, we found out about that, by the way, on Thanksgiving. Uh, what, a, what a day to find out that type of news, uh, that my mom is, only has six months left to live. Well, in that uh, conversation, in that presentation, uh, she alluded to Psalm 139, and she said, this is my favorite chapter of the Bible. And so this definitely... Uh, has a special uh, sentimental value to me, this particular psalm. And so uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive in and see what David had the right, the proper perspective about. First of all, he had a proper perspective about God, about God. And it's important for us to have the proper perspective about God. In fact, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, taught that, and he said, look, the most important thing about us is not what we do for a living. 
It's not how we look. It's not how we appear to others. It's what we think about when we think about God. And so David had some right thinking about God, and uh, we learn a lot about God from this particular psalm. In fact, this psalm is very much a uh, theology lesson or a, uh, a class that we took in Bible college called Bible Doctrines. I mean, a lot of doctrines, and we're going to look at three of them this evening that deal with God. So what did David know about God, and what did he think about God? First of all, he knew that God was and is omniscient. Omniscient. And we find this in the first six verses, the, one, the, the verses that we read at the very beginning. We learn that he knows all, and Omniscience means God has all knowledge, means that there's not a thing that can be known that God doesn't know. He knows it all. He has all knowledge. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, God knows all about us, and that's what we find here in these first six verses. Let's go down through these very quickly uh, this evening. First of all, in verse number one, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Okay, what does He know about us? Verse two tells us what He knows about us. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. He knows every time I sit down during the day, and He knows every time I get up. He knows every time, every bedtime that I've ever had throughout my entire life. And he's known the times that I've gotten up in the middle of the night. He's known it all. He knows everything about me. He knows when I sit down and when I rise up of every day of our entire life and is interested in each of those instances. He knows about those. Verse 2, at the end of the verse says, Thou understandest my thought afar off. So the Lord knows when we sit down, when we rise up, but he also knows what we're thinking. He knows our every thought. And he says in verse number two, thou understandest my thought afar off. In other words, there's only one that can know our deepest and darkest thoughts, and that is God. Only God can know those. Jesus uh, In the Gospels, we learn at least two different times it's mentioned that Jesus knew their thoughts. And so the Lord knows what we're thinking and what we have thought throughout our entire life. He knows everything that you and I think, whether it's good, bad, dirty, noble, lofty, worshipful, or base. He knows every thought that you and I have had this week. He knows it all. Well, verse 3 tells us more about what God knows about us. Verse 3 says, Thou compass my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. He knows my every step. Every, the first step that I took when I was a wee little lad. And he'll know the last step that I take. And he'll, he knows every step that I've taken. He knows everywhere that I've been. He knows everywhere that I will go. He knows every step that I've taken. He knows everywhere that I've been. In fact, not just physically, but with my eyes. He knows everywhere I've been, everything that I've seen, 
every website that I've visited, every show that I've watched, every movie that I've viewed. He's known it all. He's, he knows every ad that I've seen. He knows every YouTube video I've seen. He knows it all. And he knows everything about you, too, in that regard. But then verse 4 tells us, uh, There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. So not only does he know every step that I've taken, he knows every word that I've uttered and every word that you have uttered as well. Whether or not anyone else has heard it, God has heard it. And uh, remember that uh, we are going to be held accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth, even the idle words, Jesus said. And he knows every word that we've ever spoken. Verse number five says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. This verse is teaching us that he knows what's before me, what's behind me. He, he has a full picture of who I am. You have a, um, a fraction of the picture of who I am. But God knows the full picture of Eric Johnson. He knows who Eric Johnson really is. And I know just a fraction of who you are. But God knows who you are before and after and from all sides. Look at friends. We might be able to fool our family, our spouse, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But try as we might, there is not a one of us who can fool God. He knows exactly who we really, really are. And we can't hide it. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Psalm 147 and verse number 5 says it this way. Great is our Lord and of great power his understanding is infinite. There is no limit to his understanding and to his knowledge. It's no wonder then that David would write in verse number 6. Look at this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it is high. I cannot attain unto it. If we were to put this in a modern vernacular, David would say, my mind is completely blown when I think of how much God knows about me. He knows about how many hairs are on my head and how many hairs I have lost over the years. And there are a lot more that I have lost that are on, that are on my head. He knows everything about me. He knows my strengths, my weaknesses. By the way, he knows me better than I know me. I think I know me, but the Bible says, you know, our heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, God knows our hearts. He knows our deepest, darkest desires and motives. He knows it all. He knows, and he knows everything about me. So in this passage, it's important for us to have the right perspective about God and that he knows everything about me. I, I, there's no hiding from God. So I might as well come clean. I might as well uh, be um, transparent with God because he knows it all anyway. But not only does, do we see here that he is omniscient, but we see, secondly, he is omnipresent. And one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible regarding the omnipresence of God, this attribute that says that God is everywhere all at the same time, 
here in Psalm 139 and verse number 7 begins this passage. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So God is everywhere all at the same time. He's everywhere in death. In verse number 8, he mentions, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. God is present even in death. For the Christian who goes to heaven, of course, God's presence is there in heaven. And that is something we all look forward to as believers. But those who do not go to heaven, those who have not believed on Christ and, are, and die in their sin, they will be cast into a place called hell. And yes, God is there too. Verse number 8, If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. But there in hell, he will be there, but only as the eternal judge. His presence is in hell. So he's present in death, but then he's also present also in distance. Verse number 9, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So even in distance, if I am uh, in a very remote part of this world, guess what? God is still there. Just because no one else can see you doesn't mean God can't. Remember Jonah? Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he wanted to so badly that he decided to go the opposite direction of where God told him to go. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. And on that way, he found out that he could not flee from the presence of the Lord because God was there, even though there was distance between where he was supposed to be and where he was. Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, but to no avail. Why? Because God is everywhere all at the same time. Astronaut James uh, McDivitt orbited the earth 62 times. And here's what he said. He said, I didn't see God looking into my space cabin window as I do not see God looking into my car's windshield, as I do not see God look, our, our, as I do not see God's looking into my car's windshield on earth, but I could recognize his work in the stars as well as when walking among flowers in a garden. If you can be with God on earth, you can be with God in space. He said, it doesn't really matter where you are, God is there. And there's no escaping his presence. Not that we would want to, although some have tried. And some have desired to uh, flee from God's presence. So he's omnipresent in death, in distance, and then also I see here in darkness. In verse number 11 it says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Just because no one else can see you doesn't mean God can't. In fact, these verses teaches us that it doesn't matter if it's day or night, God can see us the same. And you know, most sin does take place at night because there's this illusion that no one sees what's happening and maybe God's vision is tainted too. I'm telling you, he's got 20-20 perfect vision at night as well as during the day. 
So he's everywhere. Now, God's omnipresence, this particular doctrine, is a source of great comfort for those of us who are living for the Lord and trying to do what's right, knowing that God is with us and and, uh, He will comfort us and He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That is a tremendously comforting thought, but it's also a convicting thought, too, when we're living in sin. Knowing that He's seeing what we do. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. So he sees every good thing that we do, but every sin that we commit, he's privy to it as well. And no matter how dark it is, no matter how remote you are living, no matter uh, how many people are seeing it or not, God knows and he sees because he's there. He's everywhere. So we see here that God is omniscient. He knows all. He's omnipresent. But then David also mentions God's omnipotence, the fact that God is all-powerful. And uh, this signifies that God is all-powerful and able to do whatever He wills to do. A young boy traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents sat beside a man who happened to be a a, a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school take-home paper and um, caught the professor's attention and And uh, the professor thought, you know, he's going to have some fun with this little kid. And so he says, young man, if you can tell me something God can do, I'll give you a big shiny apple. Well, the boy thought for a moment and then replied, mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. (laughs) God can do it all. God can do it all. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse number 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. I love that verse. Where do we get God's omnipotence in this Psalm 139? Well, in verse number 14, here he talks about God's power in creating us and making us. Verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So God is all powerful to create us and then to think about us. He thinks about you. He thinks about me. You mean when I'm having a good day, he thinks about me? Yes. When I'm having a bad day, he thinks? Yes. He thinks about you. And the Bible says in verse number 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. It's not like thoughts of, I want to ruin them and make their lives miserable. That's not our God. Our God is thinking precious thoughts towards you and towards me. And it's amazing how many thoughts that God has had about you. You go out to the playground across the street and uh, grab some sand from the playground there and, and, and count the grains in your hand. 
and you multiply that by how many grains there are in this world, the Bible says they are more in number than the sand, the thoughts that God has for you and for me. Does that boggle your mind? It should. But guess what? It doesn't boggle God's mind, and it doesn't hurt one bit for him to think about you that way, and me, and everyone else on this planet all at the same time. That is how great and how powerful our God is. And to be able to create us uh, the way he does. And, and uh, you parents, I remember with all four of our children being born, and I remember the, the moment that I got to see them for the first time. And uh, just the, the feeling of, I am experiencing a real-life miracle right before my eyes. Do you remember that, parents? That is, that is God that made that possible. That is God that created that process. It's a miracle. God is all-powerful. Since he formed the unborn child and created the heavens with the word of his power, nothing is too difficult for him. Okay, well, maybe except for what you're going through in your life. Maybe that's too difficult for God, right? He probably can't handle that one. That's too big for him. No, nothing is too difficult for him. He is, as Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's all-powerful. He can handle it. He is able to carry us through whatever we're going through. Job declared to the Lord this at the end. In Job 42, he said, I know that thou, Lord, canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Imagine this evening as you're getting ready for bed, you're grabbing your, you're trying to find your pajamas or whatever, and all of a sudden you see this, this lamp that you would, you're like, this looks like a lamp a genie would be in if I rubbed it. So you grab this lamp out and you show somebody in your family and you say, I found a, a lamp. I wonder what would happen here. And so you rub that lamp and all of a sudden a genie does pop out of this lamp. You're like, wow, I, I thought this was just in the movies. It's, it's really happening. There's a genie here. And he goes, hey, I'm the big genie. And uh, you know the drill. You get three wishes. What do you wish for? Well, you're probably going to go, well, this is what I've been wanting to do all my life. I can't believe this is really happening. I really get three wishes? Yes, you do. How many of you would wish for something dinky and puny? Raise your hand. Yeah, nobody would wish for something dinky and puny. You would say, well, and you would think of the grandest, biggest thing that you could think of. And that's what you would wish for. Okay, now let's put that genie idea out of the way, because that's not going to happen tonight, okay? But hopefully you do find your pajamas, all right? But if you find a lamp, come text me or something. I would like to know about that. Okay, but here's the thing. We have God, who's bigger than any dumb genie could ever be. And he's saying, hey, ask, and you shall receive. And you know what we ask him? We don't believe he can do it. So we ask him for little dinky things, for puny things. 
Because we don't expect God to be able to do the big things. And yet Jesus said, look, if you have uh, faith as the size of a mustard seed, you can remove mountains. If he's all-powerful like the Word of God says he is, then it should reflect that in our prayer life, shouldn't it? It should affect, it should affect our faith in him. It should affect the way we view trials, not, oh, great, this is going to be the ruin of me. No, if God's all-powerful, he can see you through that. See, David had the right perspective on who God was. Matthew 8, uh, this is a very sad verse in the Bible, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Matthew 13, 58 says this, and he, talking about Jesus, did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In other words, there were probably some mighty works that Jesus was wanting and willing to do, but because of their lack of faith in him, he chose not to do it. I wonder how many believers could have seen God do some great miracles and great works in their life, but he couldn't because of their unbelief. I want to encourage us to remember that God is truly omnipotent. I know that's a big word. It's a theological 50-cent word, but I'm telling you, it means that God's powerful, and it means that God can handle what we go through, and he can and will do miracles if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed. And so he had the right perspective on who God was. But then the next two thoughts are pretty short tonight, but I do want to point them out. He also had the proper perspective about the enemies of God. And this is a very strange section of this psalm. We just get through this theological lesson, this uh, Bible doctrines class in verses 1 through 18. Then we turn the corner here in verse 19 and it suddenly changes. David says, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. See, now David's attention turns to the enemies of God. Admittedly, this is a difficult passage here, but it basically deals with having the right perspective on the enemies of God. Now, since David spent 18 verses talking about the greatness of God, as he considers those who would have the audacity and the gall to oppose this amazing God, then he says their fate would be appropriate when God brings judgment. At first glance, this passage seems less than Christian, especially as you consider the story of Jonah. We mentioned Jonah a few moments ago. Our family uh, was just kind of thinking about Jonah here in the last couple days. And, uh, and Jonah... He got in trouble because he wanted judgment to rain down upon those Ninevites because he hated them. How, how does this fit in with that? Well, at first glance, um, well, how many of you have heard the expression, uh, and probably all of us have, to hate the sin but to love the sinner? How many have heard that? I think all of us have heard that. And to some degree, that's correct, but 
it's not it's not 100% correct because how do you how do you resolve a couple of these verses Psalm 5 verse 5 says the foolish shall not stand in thy sight thou hatest all workers of iniquity this was David writing this he said thou hatest all workers of iniquity Psalm 11 and verse number 5 the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. So, yes, God does hate the sinner, but according to these verses, he also uh, hates workers of iniquity, and he hates the wicked and him that loveth violence. One commentator wrote this about this difficult passage here regarding David's hatred. He said, David hated, but his hatred was like God's hatred. It proceeded from no evil emotion. And see, that's where the difference, I think, Jonah's hatred came from an evil emotion. I think he was angry at these people and wanted revenge, uh, but and for maybe the wrong reasons, but David here hated uh, with the right type of hatred. It says, uh, it proceeded from no evil emotion, but rather from the earnest and thoroughly sincere desire that the purposes of God must stand and that wickedness must, must perish. Had David not hated, he would have desired the success of evil and the downfall of God himself. It is well to keep these thoughts in mind when we consider the nature of David's hatred. And uh, it's important for us to... Uh, Yes, desire people to come to repentance and for desire to people, for, uh, to desire people that they would uh, turn to the Lord. But if they're not going to turn to the Lord, then judgment is right for them. I know that it's not very popular and that's not going to win me any followers on social media because we want to be so lovey-dovey. And we emphasize God's love so much to where when we hear this word hate, it almost feels like it's not in the Bible. It's very much a characteristic of our God. It's something that he does. Because he can't love something, you can't really love something without hating the opposite. So David here teaches us the proper perspective about the enemies of God. And I'll let you do further study on that on your own. And... Uh, that, that's, a, that's a deeper topic that we don't have time to discuss, but I do want to get to number three here tonight, the proper perspective about self. And at the end of this uh, psalm, we, hear, we come to verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. Now, we already know God knows our thoughts, but here he's inviting God to know his thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So here he has a proper perspective about self. What is that, what is that proper perspective? Well, David understood that there was the possibility in his heart of wrong, wicked ways in him, thoughts and deeds that were wrong. He, he knew that that was a possibility in his heart and his life. And so he asked God to uh, inspect him. And so he also had a desire to be thoroughly right with God and clean before the one who knows all anyway. And so he invited God to search his heart, and we need to invite God to search our own hearts. Um, 
while it's certainly a good idea to do some self-analysis, to say, you know what, I, I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to do a self-examination. Well, it's even better to ask God to examine you. Why? Because most of us, when we examine ourselves, we'll arrive at the conclusion that we're doing just dandy. Or that we're at least better than my brother or my sister. My neighbor, my coworker. Hey, so therefore, I'm good. But in asking God to evaluate ourselves, we're really asking four things from these verses. We're asking him to search us. Lord, I invite you into every part of my life. No part is off limits. My television viewing habits, you can look there, Lord. My music that I listen to, you can look there. The friends that I converse with, you can look. Social media, yes. Every area of my life, you can search. The things that I think about when it's just me and you, Lord. When no one else knows what's going on in my heart, I want you to search that part too. The verb search is you the verb search here is used for digging up valuable minerals minerals in a mine. And so here the psalmist is saying David's saying please search me like it's going to I don't mind you kind of going into the depths of my heart. Search me. And then he said try me. Test me to see if I am pure and true. I don't want you just to kind of know what it, I want you to try me and test me and, and make sure that I'm right. Try me and know my thoughts, he says. And then here's, here's the hard one. And see if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, tell me. Let me know what you find out. Uh, how many have been te- you, you've taken a test and then you're waiting for the answer from that test to see how you did? Remember when I took my uh, driver's license to get my commercial driver's license, and I I went through the whole driver's test, and then no indication on whether I passed or not. He takes me into the office, and I'm kind of like, well, pass or fail? That's all I need to know, you know. And uh, and it it. it it was so unclimactic when he finally was like, okay, yeah, so we just need to fill out this paperwork here and uh, we'll get you your license. Well, you could have just said, I passed. That would have been helpful. And that, that, that hard part of not knowing how you're doing, well, if you ask the Lord to tell you, he will tell you. And he'll point out things in your life that need to be changed. And then you're also asking the Lord to not just search you, try you, or test, uh, tell you, but also to lead you. Verse number 24, And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me how to correct my ways and lead me in the right way. Show me how to keep my ways right. Lead me, Lord. So the proper perspective. I hope that all of us have the proper perspective of God. Because really, that's the most important thing. And then having the right perspective about God's enemies. But then I would say probably second most important is having the right perspective of ourselves and allowing God to search us and to say, I want to be completely and thoroughly right with you, Lord. I don't want anything between you and me. I mean, how many of us have had tension between another person? I think all of us have experienced that, where 
there's conflict between uh, some, someone. It's so nice when that gets resolved. Even more so in a greater way with our relationship with God, if there's any tension between the Lord and there. And it's not his fault, by the way. He didn't do anything wrong. It's all on us. And here's an opportunity tonight to, to get those things right and to get that relationship sweet again. And so tonight we're going to end the service by singing a song based on uh, these last two verses. Uh, Search me, O God, and I think it's called Cleanse Me. And uh, we're going to sing that. Brother Randy, if you want to come up to the uh, pulpit here and, and lead that. I think it's better for our viewers at home. And uh, we'll sing uh, just this first verse tonight as a prayer to the Lord. And then, uh, and then, Brother Randy, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, that'd be, that'd be great.